Hi, my name is Rafi Aladina, and the definition of relentless to me is being willing to, to have the modesty and patience and humility and forbearance to know that you could always do better. You can always learn more. And by pushing for the values that you have, you can always improve on those, refine that definition, and use that to keep pushing for what you want and what you know you deserve and what you know the world deserves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. On this episode, you want to learn how to be less racist, less sexist, less homophobic? Well, we have an expert that can hopefully help us in all those areas. Rafi Aladina is with us. He's going to talk to us about diversity and being more inclusive. I hope you enjoy and I hope you learn a lot. So, Rafi, welcome to the Relentless Podcast. Hi there. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Philadelphia. What's it like in Philadelphia right now? So I actually moved from Philadelphia recently. So I live in Denver, Colorado now. I was in Philly for a long time, uh, for about five years. I completely (laughs) lied. So so you're in Denver, another great city. Yeah. Uh, Originally, you're from Edmonton, though, or or I think what you told me was the Edmonton area, Sherwood Park. That's correct. Yeah, and I I like that, uh, and we're going to get into to what you do for a living very very quickly. But I I will say this that I like that on your Twitter, I, I checked out your Twitter that in your handle, you uh you said ice hockey fan. Yeah. So you didn't be, and I think the reason maybe you did that is because you you were living in America, and uh, where <laughs> if you're in Canada, you just say hockey fan. But up, oh yeah, down absolutely. There, but. I think uh, living in the U.S., I mean, the U.S. is probably you'd think you'd think ice hockey when you hear hockey more often. But, um, you know, working in a lot of international contexts, I work for a company that's based in the U.K. A lot of my clients are in uh, Europe and Asia. And so you end up people go to field hockey before they go to ice hockey. That's right. So yeah, I have to put that I, in the bio just in case. <laughs> makes sense. It just, it was funny. It just kind of jumped out at me. I thought that was funny. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Rafi, I tell you what, you're going to do a way better job of explaining what you do and uh, uh, the field that you're in than I am. So I tell you what, 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 tell us, what do you do, Rafi? Sure. So I am, my official title is consulting manager and data at product lead at a company called Included which is a global diversity and inclusion consultancy. Um, I'm basically a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant, which, I mean, the, the, the joke I make is that I help companies be less sexist and racist and ableist and homophobic and all of that jazz. Um, but in a That's more- probably a big job. Yeah, it can be. It can be. Um, depends on the organization as well, I think. But- yeah. um, I mean, essentially, we work in a bunch of different areas. So I think often people think when they hear something like DNI, DEI, DIB, whatever acronym you choose around this field, people think about recruitment. How do you make sure that you're recruiting more diverse groups of people and kind of diversifying the workforce? Um, and I would say that that's maybe 10% of the job, if right. that. Um we work in a lot of different areas. Part of it is thinking about strategies, not just around, you know, what is your strategy for making your company more diverse or equitable or inclusive, but how can you reframe your business strategy so that you're thinking about inclusion as a tool for value creation? How can you think about inclusion as one of those things in your toolbox that you can pull out and pull out often as a way to improve your offering, to improve your product that you're building, to improve the environment that people are working in so that they are more collaborative or more effective teams or better at complex problem-solving tasks and things like that. So part of it is strategy. I do a lot of data analysis as part of that work. So thinking about things like how, how diverse is your company along different strands of diversity, but a lot of it is about how inclusive are you? What is your environment like? And can we quantitatively measure how included people feel at work and then using that to drive whatever solutions you might want to come up with, whether that's drive training or yeah. policies or governance or whatever it is. So 
to drive change, essentially. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, that systemic what, what level I, change, I, especially. When I hear you say, um, essentially, and now listen, we're gonna we're gonna let's back this up a little bit. You, I've done a little research on you. I've checked into you, uh, not in a stalker way, just like in a normal okay. like person. Okay, uh, you are a Harvard man. Uh, you spend a lot of time at Harvard. Um, what I what I want out of the podcast today is for you to, to understand that I am not a Harvard man. Uh, I am not a very educated guy at all. Um, so I need you to not use a ton of big words because I may not understand them all. <laughs> And I want you to really kind of uh, dumb down some of the stuff you're talking about so that this guy can understand it. Uh, my, I, I have been to Harvard. Rafi, I want you yeah. to know that. Um, long story that we don't have time for today, but essentially I, I was completely drunk in the Harvard dorms uh, at one point, almost kicked out. And this Very is when nice. I was like, yeah, and this is when I was like 35 years old. So that's just a little, <laughs> little, little hint of what my life is like. And Very so, and you and I are a bit different in regards to why we went to Harvard and the purpose yeah. of it. Now, so like I said, oh, I don't know. There are a lot of people who go to Harvard for the parties. That's right. That's right. I, but I was only there for one day. So there you go. So when you said earlier, uh, talking about you know working with companies and essentially, and and correct me if I'm wrong, almost uh, evaluating. Uh, a company uh, uh, to, to help bring change, uh, potential change. As, a, as a, a leader of an organization myself, literally just yesterday had an experience. And this is why I, was, got, I got very excited to talk to you today because, um, again, I'm a long story guy, but a long story short, we, we, we actually had a nursing student come in and we we're trying to figure out what can this student do. It was all about leadership. And so we decided to have her do this just non-scientific environmental scan on our little organization. There's only about 16 of us um, mm -hmm. on uh, the leadership, like what, like leadership within our organization and culture within our organization and, you know, kind of get some feedback from people. And the feedback truthfully was really, really good. Uh, I was really happy about it. And people talked all about how they feel welcome there and they feel supported there and they, they feel like everything's an open door policy. They feel like they have a voice there. They All these different things. They've talked about how they felt inclusion was important at the organization. And I'm sitting there listening to this and my chest is pumping out. And I'm, about, I'm proud. And, and then it kind of ended not on a sour note, but on a note of, but we could definitely do some work on inclusion. Okay. So I, I thought, okay, absolutely correct. But what does that mean? Because sure. information is coming so fast. Things are changing so quickly. How do we as, a, as an organization uh, become more inclusive knowing and or I shouldn't say knowing, trying to understand that there's actually a difference between being a diverse organization mm. and an inclusive organization. So yeah. I would assume yeah. that there's many organizations that don't even want to go down this road because it would be very scary for them to actually hear the reality of what's happening in their company or their organization. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm babbling on here, but you know, can you maybe just explain a little bit like diversity, not versus, but the difference really between diversity yeah. and inclusion? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, diversity, I think you're hitting on a common issue is that when people talk about DNI, they talk about it as one word, one concept that they use the same thing all the time when really they mean either diversity or inclusion or equity or whatever term they're using. But they all are very different things, right? So diversity is diversity is about the mix of people you have. It's about their their different identities. And that could mean often when we think about identities, we think about gender, sex, race disabilities, sexual orientation, those typical things that, that come up in lawsuits, in, uh, you know, in, in government discrimination laws or things like that. That's often what we think about, but it goes beyond that. You know, we, we can also think about things like socioeconomic background, about 
uh, introversion and extroversion, about just life experiences more broadly, right? Like whether you're a parent or not, and um, all those different kinds of things that make us think about problems differently, that make us approach a situation differently. And that can be all kinds of things. And in different contexts, different aspects of your diversity might play up, right? So for me, for example, I'm 33. I don't have kids. Not having kids is not a big part of my identity right now because a lot of my friends don't have kids. But that's starting to change. So maybe when I'm 40, if I still don't have kids, being childless might be a very important part of who I am, a part of my identity. So that context changes what aspects of your identity matter. And so that can affect what parts of diversity get played up and played down in different situations, different meetings, different, uh, different workplace contexts and different problems that you're trying to solve. So like the outbreak of a war halfway across the world might actually deeply affect one person's identity because they're of Ukrainian descent and that feels something to them. Or they're of Yemeni descent if we're talking about the war in Yemen or you know all the other conflicts that are going on. So those different contexts can play up different aspects of your identity. Inclusion is about making those different identities work together. It's about making the mix work. So di diversity is about the workforce, inclusion is about the workplace. It's about the environment in which we work and how we set that up so that people can thrive. People, yeah, have their voice heard and feel like they belong and feel like they matter, get transparency and objective decision-making. Um, that's what inclusion's about. That's a, it's a really good way to, to simplify about when you, when you said diversity is about the workforce, inclusion is about the workplace. Yeah. That exactly. really makes sense to non-Harvard boy over here. Like it really <laughs> does. Um, when, I, when, when, and again, what I'm, what I'm excited about when we do, you know, we have people on the podcast and I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can as well. Yeah. Um, some I think of the we stuff all should, that, right? Absolutely. And I think it needs to be nonstop. And there are times in our lives. Um, now I'm older than you, uh, okay. by, but you know, I don't know if would it be a generation. I'm almost 50. Okay. So I'm, I'm 16, 17 years older than you are. And one of the, some of the stuff that I've heard you talk about and that, that I've read a couple of things that, that you've written about uh, are biases. Yeah. And now, now I say biases, you say it differently. How do you say it? Biases. <laughs> biases. Yeah. So that's again, Harvard on Harvard. Right? I honestly biases. don't know. <laughs> It's like data, data. I'm not sure which one's this, which one's the big one's British, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, talk to me, uh, and I'm I'm gonna let you just kind of talk on this, and uh, and then if possible, I like to say some of my experiences with it because really, uh, I, I I think the the concept of of biases and how they they really govern so many parts of our lives is an important thing to look at when we're talking about inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it's become a bit of a charged word bias or implicit bias, unconscious bias. They become a little bit politically charged, I think in the last few years um, in, in most countries, but really, I mean, they're not that, they're not that, um, what do you mean by that? They, they, they become charged. What do you mean by that? I guess what I mean is that implicit biases are a thing. Unconscious biases are a thing. They're, they're a thing that exists in every human being, whether we want them to or not. They're just a fact of life. And I can talk a little bit more about how they work and how they get developed in people's minds and whatever. But I guess what I mean by saying they become politically charged is that one of the byproducts of a brain that has a propensity to trying to be more quick and making quick decisions to preserve energy and living in a society where we absorb imperfect information is that it means that it relates to different types of discrimination that exist. So we might have biases about women because of the information that we have absorbed just by watching TV and reading books and from the people that we talk to, the experiences we've had growing up about the role of women in society. 
So let me let me break that down really quickly. Is just that like so here. You see this here, right? Yeah. Can you tell me what this is? Uh, I want to say it's a cup holder or no, uh, like a pen holder, something you put on your desk to put things in. Right. Right. That's what this is. This is a like a pen holder, right? Okay. How do you know that? Because I have it's one. not a trick question. Because you have one. Because you've seen it before. Someone told you what it was, right? So when you were a child, you saw something like this. Someone named it, and you remember that name for what this is. But as a kid, when you're trying to learn the names of different things that you see in the world, you your brain creates categories, and then it subcategorizes within that, right? So. For example, you see this and you might think open vessels that hold stuff is your big is your big category. And then your brain goes through this process of elimination of, okay, it doesn't have a handle, so it's not a teacup and it's not a mug. And it's not big and tall, so it's not a flower vase. And it's not holding any liquid, so it's not like a cup. And it came off of a desk, so therefore it must be a pen holder. The problem is that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. And your brain doesn't want to do that. It doesn't want to use that much energy because it wants to preserve its energy for other stuff that it might need energy for, like, you know, solving a complex math problem for your homework or something like that. And so what your brain does instead is that once it becomes really familiar with different things within that category, it starts to create these mental shortcuts, these small, quick pathways so that you don't have to go through that whole process of elimination. Instead, you see the object and you immediately think that's a pen holder, that's a cup, that's a mug. So you, your brain can be more efficient. Your brain just wants to be efficient and preserve energy. The same thing happens with people. When we see people, a group of people, and we see them often, and we become familiar with that group of people, however we've decided to categorize them, whether that's based on gender or race or age or disability or whatever it is, the more familiar we get with that category, the easier it is to create accurate mental shortcuts that are based on individuals. However, if we have only encountered certain people in small quantities, so for example, for me, I didn't grow up around a lot of people who, who have disabilities. I just didn't encounter that very much. And in my adult life, I still don't encounter that nearly as much as you might think, given the type of work that I do for a living. As a result of that, my mental shortcuts about disability are going to be based on whatever information I can see, whatever information my brain can get. So that's TV, movies, magazines, books, people I meet, people I talk to, whatever other people say about disability, those kinds of things are going to affect that mental shortcut. And if that information that I'm getting is imperfect, if it's not accurate, then my mental shortcut is going to be not as accurate as well. That's how our biases form. Makes sense. I was, I was looking at you guys before I came up. And I'm like, dude, there must be money in dirt because you guys look nice. Hey folks, do you like to laugh? Who doesn't like to laugh? The UCAN comedy nights are a ton of fun. And do they ever make you laugh? Listen, our next UCAN comedy nights happen in March 2023. If you want all the details on how you can support our incredible organization, UCAN Youth Services, go to our website for more details. That is at UCANComedy.ca. And you can find out all about our shows, our comedians, who's coming in, and all the ways that you can come out and support us. We look forward to having you there. And uh, why don't you come and have some laughs supporting the serious work that we do at UCAN Youth Services. And now, back to the show. It, may, it really does make sense, right? And it's, yeah. you know, when I, when I think of biases, I'm, or, no, no, you have me saying biases. Good. There we go. I'm turning yeah, you my the way. Harvard, the Harvard's rubbing off on me. Um, it, it, it does make me think of stereotypes because essentially what you're talking about right there, in my opinion, is stereotypes. Um, you know, you look at a different, at a, at a certain subsector of people uh, uh, and whatever it is, like you said, 
and your lack of actual uh, uh, connectivity to that group of people yeah. leads to ignorance and your ignorance then, um, and not that you're a bad person, not that you're, oh. you're, you're a mean person or, or this or that, but that, that ignorance, that lack of knowledge leads to these different, you know, um, they well, really stereotypes, these, these, yeah. these biases that happen. And then I love how you just said, automatically, we just go there because it's a bit easier than putting the work into doing that critical thinking. Right. And like, that group. and the way, so there's this, um, there's this guy named Danny Kahneman. He's a, he's a psychologist, but he won a Nobel prize in economics. Um, and he, he's basically one of the founders of the field of behavioral economics. And basically what, what he talks about is that there are these two, these two systems through which humans process thoughts. One is your system one. That's your quick automatic thinking. That's the, I'm walking across the street and a car is speeding at me and my brain tells me jump out of the way. That's that automatic process. Instinct. The second is your system two, your more thoughtful, rational, uh, logical decision-making. That's kind of coming from that frontal lobe, the front part of your brain, the more uh, recently evolved part of human brains, right? And the problem is it's much easier to use that system one, easier in the sense of it takes less energy for your body, for your brain to use it. And you need it to work in some cases, right? Like if that car is coming at you, you can't stop there and think, okay, there's 30 meters more across the street. The car's driving at 75 kilometers an hour and it's about hundred meters away and speed is distance over time. By the time you've done that, you've been hit by the car. So yeah, you can't it's, it, that's, not, that's not the time to do the math problem. Exactly. Right. You need yeah. your system one to kick in and tell yeah. you jump out of the way. But yeah. the problem is when you are using your system one, when you should be using your system two. So when you're at work, you're often employed to use your logic, to use your reasoning. But when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're stressed out, when you're under time pressure, when you just had a fight with your spouse and your kids being a brat and your dog peed on the carpet again, all of that's going to weigh on your brain and make it harder for you to shift from your automatic process to your more logical, slower, more effortful process. Yeah. And it's those moments when you're under that kind of pressure that makes it harder for you to rely on reason and logic than to rely on where your biases live. So there's this really interesting experiment where um, they found that that was done in Israel, I think, and they found that judges who were assessing the same types of cases for the exact same crimes gave harsher punishments right before lunch versus right after lunch. Interesting. Because when you're hungry, it makes it harder for you to think logically. Right. Well, because there's, and again, this is probably the wrong word because uh, the word suffering is, should not be related to a judge about, you know, cause he's a little hungry before lunch, but essentially yeah. your system, your brain, your body, all those things are longing for food to fuel the body, the brain. So let's say that, you know, there's a little suffering going on and maybe you lack empathy at that time. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe that's what's happening where you're not now looking at this person in, like you said, system two, that more thoughtful, rational way. Right. It's boom, quick. Let's get this done. We got to move on where you go and you have your meal. You feel a little bit more relaxed. You, 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 you fueled yourself a little bit. You can it's be more one thoughtful. less thing weighing on your brain. Right. 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 So it's interesting to me when, when I think of the workplace and when I think of, uh, often, you know, my, myself and, 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 and our, all of our staff, but, but I think of our management team, we'll say, you know, we, we really want people to do their best um, to not bring their baggage into work because mm -hmm. we're dealing with a lot of things at my work. We work with at-risk youth. We do that. But we've tried to change that language a little bit because it doesn't, everyone has a ton of baggage no matter what. And I, and I do believe that, that now it's getting, um, there's just more information out there, right? Even a guy like you, Rafi, like you are just giving people a ton of information, which is great information on this, but then we, you know, we can look at mental health. We can look at all this. Yeah. And 
it's impossible for people not to do that. Um, it makes sense to me with that system one, system two, with your brain that you're talking about, where people can be a little snappy, right? Yeah. They can be a little, a little bit irritable. And I love the, the what you talked about with the judges making those decisions. That being said, when we talk about being inclusive in the, the workplace, um, and eventually I want to get in our conversation about maybe different ways of doing so, right? Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Because my hope is that that people that are listening to this, it you don't have to be the boss to get something out of this conversation. What can we do as individuals, right? Which yeah. is what I want to talk about. But one of the things that I that I've heard you talk about as well um, is this idea of microaggression. Yeah, and and I find that to be an interesting thing because. I, I've been thinking about it. I actually, you know what? Explain what that is first, and then we'll have a quick little talk. Sure. So microaggressions are this idea that there are small things, small things that are done by well-intentioned people, and sometimes their actions, sometimes their words, whatever they are, done by well-intentioned people that for a member of a marginalized group is actually a little bit negative or a little bit says something bad about part of who we are. And in on their own, it's not really a huge deal, right? It's like a small thing that doesn't say much, but they happen repeatedly. They happen over and over and over and over again. And it's like acid rain, right? Like a little bit's not gonna hurt you, but a lot of it can completely destroy what it hits. And for members of marginalized groups, whether you're that's you know racial, racial minorities, gender minorities, and when I say minority here, I know that in the world globally, the people who are discriminated against in that case are majorities. But like, I mean more people who experienced that kind of discrimination, especially at a systemic level. Yeah. They're experiencing that over and over and over again, right? So. For example, so what would an example be? Okay, yeah. What's yeah, an example? So, for example, um, one thing that we know is that women, people of color, other members of marginalized groups like that, often get interrupted in meetings more than other people, more than your typical middle-aged straight white male in a meeting. More than me. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Quite honestly, yes. Yes. They get interrupted more often. They get their ideas attributed to other people more often. And so when that happens once, not a big deal. But when it happens over and over and over again, it gets pretty annoying. And more than that, it gets pretty effective on a person's sense that they feel like their opinion is valued because someone's always talking over them. Or their idea, it gets dismissed, but then someone else brings up the same idea and someone says, oh, that's an amazing thought. Another example is um, with Black women, we know from a lot of research that Black women who wear their hair naturally, so in braids or in afro or twists and typical natural hairstyles like that, yep. they often are less likely to be taken seriously at work they're less likely to get a job in a job interview. They're uh, less likely to get um, a pay raise if they're negotiating for a pay raise. Um, they're less likely to be offered more money um, in an initial job offer uh, situation. So we know that there are all these different effects that black women who wear their hair naturally are having versus black women who wear a wig or have chemically straightened hair or something like that. So if you go to work, and you see a black woman and they've got straightened hair or a wig or something like that. And you say, really well-intentioned, right? You're trying to give a compliment and you say, your hair looks so much more professional today, right? That person hearing that, you're saying that as a compliment, like, my God, your hair looks great. But what that person is hearing then is, oh, so my natural hair is less professional, is unprofessional. Who I am naturally, without trying to conform to this stereotype of what hair should look like, who I am naturally is less professional. 
who I am is less professional in this place. Right. Who I am so, maybe doesn't belong in this place from a professional context. Oh, man. So I have a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. <laughs> so <laughs> when you give that example, and what I'm trying to do is not use system one, I'm trying to use system two right now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> to 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 go okay because you've said like if 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 they're they come in with their hair natural right a, a black woman comes with their hair natural that less pay less chance of getting hired less and automatically i just think really well, why like that's what i think yeah and then but then i honestly rafi what i think of is maybe many people listening to this who potentially could be like me right white middle Sure. age men are going to go where'd you get that information from like do you know what i'm saying like it, it 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 but that being said i would have never ever thought of that i yeah, would have I never mean, ever thought of that for anyone listening that's part of that group that you described that's kind of probably like you in your 50s and why no, not yet I'm, I'm not 50 yet i'm not 50 yet but yeah not close. 50 yet sorry close to 50. middle age middle yeah. age sure um but for anyone who's in that group and they're thinking what are you talking about like this can't be real look it up seriously just go to google scholar look up black women hair discrimination and you'll find a bunch of academic papers that have shown that um, so you can put it in, in so regular Google, not just Google Scholar, and you'll probably find news yeah. articles where people saw that, right? And we can see the I same thing with just names, right? Names can do that too. We, we've seen tons of examples of experiences where people will send out resumes with, with that are completely identical, but with two different names on top, Joe versus right. Jose. And you right. see that Joe is going to get a lot better response rates from the same people than Jose does. Right. Right. We see it in, um, you know, just this morning I was reading an article about um, a black family in Seattle in, the, in a really relatively nice area where the average house costs about a million dollars. And this black family has a three bedroom house that they've done a bunch of renovations on and then they got to, they got it appraised and it was appraised at a uh, little over six hundred thousand six hundred and fifty thousand dollars around that that range. And they were confused and they didn't get it. And so what they did then is they took all the pictures of their family who was black off the walls. They took pictures of African art that they had off the walls and they had their neighbor who is white come and give the tour of the house to the, to the new appraiser then. And it got evaluated $300,000 higher than it was before. And that's not the only time I've seen that seen that article. I've seen that article happen in Boston. I've seen that article happen in Toronto. I've seen it in London. I've seen it all over the place. And it's not uncommon. And it's not that the thing is your like your instinct to ask why, like why would that happen? I get that instinct. I ask those questions. And at the same time, the thing is, it's coming out of your system one. Your system right. one doesn't isn't based on reason. So you're looking for why the the question why implies that there's a logical explanation. But the fact is that that's not where it comes from. It's coming from this imbued thing that we get from society that says X person is worth less, is valued less than Y person. Right. And again, that is such an environmental, like everything coming down yeah. where we come from, every, our home, our society, our what we watch on TV, what we experience at school, exactly. growing up, who we hang out with, what our parents yeah. say, what our parents don't say, all those types yeah, of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the microaggressions, I've... It, <laughs> People's intentions are right. Yes, People have absolutely. good intentions. And that's where I think it gets a little bit tough. Um, now, this is different, but, but, but I'll explain just very quickly. I, uh, and not to compare it to, to racism or discrimination right. or anything like that. But um, I'm actually, I, I, you know, I'm not going to go all into it, but I'm actually dealing with some really extreme grief in my life. 
uh, due to a very significant loss in my life. And what I've, what I've realized is that, and this is where I got interested in the microaggressions, the word aggression sounds, well, it sounds aggressive. It sounds quite negative. It sounds bad, right? Um, unless you're talking about sports, man, that guy was really aggressive in the corners as a hockey player. Well, that's great. But when you say microaggression, it sounds bad, but people say things to me that um, I almost put in this category because they're actually, their heart's in the right place. They're trying to be nice, yeah. but it's very hurtful and it's very painful. And, and, and I actually call that grief illiteracy. Now, I didn't make that term up. I've read about it. Um, but I, I, the reason I'm telling you this is because it's made me think of this in the workplace as far as us uh, and I say us because I, I guarantee I'm guilty of it, uh, have been guilty of it, potentially will be guilty of it again. And where, all of us have. Right. Where it's, it's this illiteracy. It's, this, it's, yeah. it's not using system two, right? It's not yeah. being more thoughtful. So that being said, how do we become that way? How do we, how do we, make how do you know what Rafi how do I make my place you can youth services into a more inclusive place where my staff and the yeah. young people that show up there um hopefully aren't going to have to deal with microaggressions yeah, sure. and some of this other stuff so few points first of all I'm sorry that you're that you're dealing with that um oh thank you that's really thank tough you. grief is always a tough thing um yeah I think there are a couple things, right? Like, and it goes back to kind of the comparison you were making. Cause I do think like it's an, it's an apt comparison in the sense that, you know, you mentioned that the word microaggression aggression sounds aggressive. And I've heard a lot of people try to advocate for the use of micro behaviors as a different term instead of microaggressions. And I think there are a few different ways of thinking about it. One is that it kind of depends on your audience of who you're trying to talk to. Because, so the, the argument I've heard that you shouldn't use microbehavior and you should use microaggression is that the way that the person experiencing it feels is kind of aggressive. It's, it's painful, it's hurtful. And by using the word microbehavior, you're talking about it from the perspective of the well-intentioned person who is offering that, who is, who is uttering that microaggression. And so maybe that's, so from that perspective, it might downplay the experience that the, that the person who is, who is feeling it is experiencing. On the other hand, though, when you're talking to someone who is less likely to be experiencing microaggressions and more likely to be perpetrating them, maybe the word microbehavior is better because it can go in both ways. There is a new, there is a term called of microaffirmations, which is kind of like the opposite of a microaggression in a sense. You know, it's making sure that you're giving people praise and calling out instances where people are getting interrupted and, um, you know, making sure that people are getting credit where it's due and offering thanks for even little things. Like those kinds of things can be, can have a similar effect in the opposite way of microaggressions. And so microbehaviors gives you a broader landscape of, of behaviors to look at, both the positive and the negative. I think what's important about it coming out though, is that like one thing that we've said, but maybe not pulled out a ton is that, is again, that microaggressions are perpetrated by people with good intentions. And so even if they are being logical and they are using that system too, sometimes they're not gonna realize that what they're saying is bad for the other person. I would say most of the time they're not yeah. realizing Exactly. Back. And so I think part of it is there's there's kind of a twofold, two-sided thing of this. And I I, I really I, it, it kind of goes back to something I was reading about you, Ken, as well, is this idea of it needs to be a give and take. And yeah, maybe, maybe there needs to be more give than take from one side or another at different points in time. Maybe it's not always 50-50, maybe sometimes it's 60, 40, or 73, or even 90, 10, but there has to be something from the other side. And yep. that is when someone does perpetrate a microaggression, like if I do that to you right now, right, then 
I need you to, for me to know that that's happened, someone needs to say something to me, whether that's you or one of your producers on the mic or someone else who's in the room, someone's got to tell me that, otherwise I'm never going to know. And I then have to sit with the impact of that, not just the intent with the intent of it, and also try to do better. And you have to give me the benefit of the doubt that what I did was just a mistake and not malicious in that way. Otherwise, you so can't I think, move forward. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I and I and, and I think um, I love how you're you're talking about the intent, but then what's the impact? Yeah. Because the intent, you know, and again, I can speak for myself. People don't have the intention of, of saying things that are harmful. 90% of but, the time they don't. Right. And, and I, but, but yet the impact at times is harmful. And when it's accumulated more and more, and it just is pilot, is, if that impact is very harmful. But if we can recognize that, I love how you, how your 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 thing of is it's okay to have somebody um, call you out on it or or discuss this with you or, but I I also believe that on that side of it it's got to be done in a way that isn't going to be harmful that isn't going to be blaming that isn't going to make you feel like you're the person who started racism or you're the person that started grief do you know what I mean like I think that there's a lot of uh, um, guilt that can be associated to people making what I believe at not all the time, but mistakes, right? Yeah. And I think, I think it's a double-edged sword there. I think there is, to some degree, there is a level of, you know, if I'm the person experiencing the microaggression trying to call someone out, to some degree, it's not my job to make you feel better about it because you did something. 100% agree. But at the same time, if my goal is to help you do better and not have that happen as often, then that can't just be the perspective that I have. There has to be a little yeah. bit of, okay, maybe it's not my job to do this, but also I want this to get better. And I think that it'll, maybe you'll, because I know you, you'll respond better to me being a little more gentle about it, or at least being a little more kind about it. And not just, cause like, if you go into the situation of assuming the best of intent, but that people are going to own their impact. If you have that as a norm, then if I call you out on something, you don't have to say, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it that way because I know you didn't mean it that way. I'm assuming the best of intent, but you can right. sit there and own the impact of it. And I know that you're going to try to do better next time. And that's okay. And if it happens over and over and over again, fine. Maybe I'm justified in getting a little bit annoyed, but. Well, you're very justified in getting annoyed if it happens sure. because people are learning. I, I agree a thousand percent with you. I, I find what it is, is um, just the person who, you know, is the aggressor, we'll call it the aggressor. Sure. Uh, it, it's not, it's not the person who, who is, is having the aggression against them. It isn't their responsibility to now uh, 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 change that other person's behavior. Yeah. But my hope is that, these conversations can happen within a workplace. My hope is that these conversations can yeah. happen in my workplace where it isn't, uh, it's, it's about understanding, right? It's about dealing yeah. with these differences and trying to really figure out how do we, how do we become better Yeah. at the end? I mean, I'm going to sound so cliche, but how do we become more inclusive? Do you know that in, in our values, uh, our number one value is be inclusive. Love it. And, it's, I think it's great, but you know what? I still think we're ignorant to it. Yeah. And I still think that we have so much to learn. And, and every single person in our building has so much to learn. I love how earlier in this conversation you talked about, you know, you weren't just talking about gender and race and, and all these things. You were talking about maybe there is a parent, maybe there isn't a parent. And it's yeah. interesting because, because I know that there's, I've worked with many people. I have kids. I've worked with many people who don't have kids and some of the stuff they say, I'm just like, Oh, like shut the flip up, man. Like, I can't believe you're saying that. But then I know I've probably said stupid things around people that don't have kids. That's, that's offensive to them, but you don't think that way. Yeah. Right. You don't think that what you're saying is offensive. I think there are a couple of things, right? Like in order for someone. So when something like that happens in order for someone to feel like they can speak up, 
And they can say, hey, that was kind of offensive. Can you maybe talk about it this way next time? Or, you know, make your point in a different way, but, you know, whatever it is. In order for someone to feel like they can speak up, that's the first thing, right? Like you can have these norms of inclusion, quote unquote, and you can have these norms of everyone's going to assume the best of intent. Everyone's going to own their impact. But in order for any of that to have any effect, someone has to feel comfortable speaking up in the first place. That feels safe. Yeah, there's this thing, it's a term that's becoming more popular in the kind of pop culture zeitgeist now. Um, And it it used to be purely in academic circles, but it's this term psychological safety, um, which is this idea that people can express an idea that's different than the prevailing one in the room without a fear of backlash, that they can take measurable risks with without a fear that they're going to be blamed if it goes really terribly or blamed unreasonably that they can make a mistake without it being held over them for long periods of time you know stuff like that that kind of a feeling is what allows people to feel like you know what i can say something even if i'm the only one in the room who thinks this whether that's a new idea or a new approach to a problem or that maybe that joke that that person made wasn't appropriate, or maybe that thing or, that or disagreeing to a concept or whatever exactly. that is. Exactly, and that's yeah. how you get. So diversity without that psychological safety, which is a key aspect of inclusion, diversity without that doesn't do anything. You because the whole point of diversity, all the the benefits that come from it, is people being able to express that diversity. And if you feel like you're not safe to express the thing that makes you different, then why, why does your difference matter in that place if it's never going to come out? You're never, as an organization, going to reap the benefits of the diversity of the organization that you have if people can't express things from that difference that come right. from there. That's why you need that inclusion. You need both. You can't people just have to. diversity. People need to know that they matter, which yeah. then creates that safeness for them to be able to to hopefully express their their yeah. authentic self, right? And, and I think, sorry, go ahead. Well, I I, I was just going to say, listen, you need to come back on because we've been talking for forty five <laughs> minutes here, and it feels like about oh, two minutes. I know, and it, but but this is just so. It's it's just such an incredible topic, Rafi, and and I, honestly, we haven't got to probably seventy five percent of even what I want to talk to you about. But are are you willing to come back on at Absolutely, some point in anytime? Because I'd love to chat with you more about can this. I, uh, um, can I can I give one technique on psychological safety and please do that I think would be helpful? Um, it's one of my favorites. We call it partnering, and it's this okay. idea that. When you go into a meeting, so you you have an organization of 16 people, you said, right? Yeah. So when people are coming to this idea of trying to watch out for things like microaggressions or, um, you know, watching out for their biases and their blind spots and all those kinds of things, if they're coming to that for the first time or maybe not the first, but not a lot, if it's kind of new to them, it can be really hard. Like this work is not... It's not easy to try and think about all of these different things that are coming at you, that people are telling you. It's a you lot of information. It's a lot it's a of lot. stuff. It's really hard. And so one of the things you can try is in advance of your meeting, have your team find partners for each other, one or the other person, right? So let's say you and I are going to be partners in the meeting coming up. And we pick one aspect of our identities that we want the other person to look out for. So for me, maybe that's race. And for you, maybe that's about grief, right? And so in the next meeting, if someone has some sort of microaggression or says something or does something that's maybe discriminatory about about grief in some way, then it's my job to call it out, not yours. And if someone does something about race, that's your job to call out, not mine. And you're that way you're really only having to focus on one person and one aspect of their identity. 
And over time, as you practice that, you do that more and more, it'll become easier to look out for those things. And so maybe you won't be really just focused on one person with that identity, but everybody in the room that has that identity. Or maybe it's not just that one part of that person, but a bunch of different aspects of that one person's identity that you get more used to noticing those things and maybe calling them out. And even better, if you wanna take this up to the next level that I think is even better, in advance of that meeting, when the partners are talking, when you and I are talking, we get to tell each other how we want the other person to call it out. So maybe I want you to call it out in the moment in that meeting and just say, hey, hey, that joke isn't totally appropriate and this is why. But maybe you don't want that to happen in the meeting. Maybe you want me to take that person aside after the meeting and talk to them about it afterwards. Right. Because that's what. Yeah, you there's want. different ways of doing it, right? There are different ways because, of doing it, and people have different preferences. So you should treat the other right. person the way they want to be treated. That's and so right. if you have this conversation in advance, grab a partner for the next meeting, and then in the next meeting you guys can practice that, and over time you'll be able to get the hang of it more. I incredible idea that I'm going to bring to my organization. Great. I really am. That. Um, we're we're going to try this out. And I, I do appreciate that you are honest enough to say that this is work though, right? Um, yeah. This is, this is work. This is a lot. I mean, you know, uh, in leadership, you're, you know, I'm bombarded constantly with different ways of being this type of leader, this type of leader, this type of leader. I uh, just read, just read an article this morning on 99 ways to be a kind of a more effective. Well, how many more ways are there to be a more effective leader? Right. But I do believe that the the topic today that we talked about around inclusion, um, learning about where our biases come from, learning about what we can do with them. Um, I think, you know, talking about these microaggressions, we didn't even talk about blind spots, which I want to talk to you about. We're going to do that <laughs> next time. Sure. Um, it, it really is just something that I think all of us, not just leaders, not just people in management or, or supervisor roles, or I think everybody within an organization, but how about let's take it another step farther. Sure. Uh, how about in your community? How about on your sports team? How about in your uh, club that you hang out with? How about in the, the whatever you do, let's try to think this way. Let's try to be this way. And I think that overall, that's, a, that's something that I hope people get out of our talk today. Absolutely. I agree. And I mean, I think, you know, part of it has to go back to the idea of like, you have to be humble enough to know that you don't ever, you don't know everything, right? Right. That's what doing this work kind of requires. And it means yeah. that you're going to make mistakes. It means that people are going to call you out and you have to be willing to not to always react defensively to think of, you know what, maybe they might be right. And maybe they're not in that moment. And that's okay too. But just going back to bringing it from your unconscious brain to your conscious one, from your system one to your system two, just making those decisions more consciously is really, really helpful because, and, and you have to be humble enough to know that your system one isn't always going to be working for you. Right. And it, and it is okay to admit that and it is okay to this Absolutely. is my base to 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 try to work on it right um yeah definitely I, I i again another thing that i got out of this was system one system two i just really love the way you explained that to me yeah, that's, that's so beneficial to our listeners and to, to me and to everyone um so hey rafi let's talk very quickly about the the, the concept of being relentless and it is a relentless podcast. You are relentless in your work in, in, in wanting to get this message out. Um, but I also believe that, that things like uh, racism, uh, sexism, ageism, those massive things, they're actually relentless. You know what I mean? There's yeah. people that can be relentless that... So let's talk a little bit about that. What what is when we talk about being inclusive? When why why are you why is this so important to you? Why 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 are you relentless in wanting this message to get out? I mean, part of it is part of it is from my own experiences with experiencing racism. Um, you know, as a kid and as an adult, the sometimes you know someone says something or you know things like that. Part of it is from what I've learned that a lot of others experience that are in worse situations than I am, certainly. Um, 
I think the thing is that, you know, people talk a lot about like, we've done so much on trying to end racism and end sexism and all these kinds of things. How come it's not done yet? But these have been built up over hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not going to end in 20 or 30 or 50. It's going to take a long time to break all that stuff down. And I think part of it is, part of it is knowing that that you're doing it for more than just you is like, I think that's part of what being relentless in anything, anything kind of requires is that it's not just about you. It's about other people who are in similar situations than you. It's about the people who are coming after you. It's about the people who have come before you and honoring them. Um, and it's, and, and importantly, it's about the people that you're trying to, trying to help, right? The people who don't know about the things that I'm trying to work on, I'm not, they're not against me. I'm not their competitor. I'm not going, I'm not trying to, you know, trying to break them down. There's no, there's no winning in that sense. It's about us all helping each other get a little bit better. And I mean, all of us getting better because I'm going to learn from that experience too, about what that person has gone through. Like if I'm talking to them about inclusion, part of that requires me to know that I'm going to have to learn some things from them too. I'm going to be making mistakes from them too. And the ability to be relentless in this type of work, because it's exhausting and it's frustrating and people say things that are really offensive and hard to hear and hard to deal with all the time. But you have to know that in order to, to, in order to keep going in that work, knowing that you, coming into it, knowing that you could be wrong, that maybe your mind can be changed, that maybe there's a part of it that you've gotten wrong, that you've gotten wrong about them or about their people or about what you assume their people are, for that matter. You have to have that patience. You have to have that modesty. You have to have that humility, that willingness to give the other person the benefit of the doubt and ability to be vulnerable so that they can be open and vulnerable and modest and patient and humble with you. And that's the only way that works for that moves forward. I think it's an incredible way to end this podcast is talking about your passion, why you're doing this, why you're relentless. Uh, I want to thank you for the work that you do. I want to thank you for teaching me today because I learned from you today. Um, I hope we have more conversations in the future so I can learn more from you. I, I hope, hope you I learned a lot from you too today. So I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. I hope that my organization will change just even a little bit more to be a little bit better than we, I believe we're really good, but let's always strive to be better. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. And again, there's so much more to talk about. I, I want to end it this way. If, if in my short time talking uh, with you, I've realized that, you know, there's many, there's many people that are doing this type of work. Um, there's many people that are very public about this type of work, which I think is fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah. I do think that there's people that are very aggressive in this work though as well. And I think that there's people that um, you come at it in, in a, well, we were talking earlier, me and one of the producers, you come at it in a, in a compassionate way. You come at it in a humble way. You come at it in a way where um, let's, let's like, you know, have the person turn the mirror on themselves and see what's happening in their lives. And why is this going on? And let's try to, let's go a little deeper than just you're a racist or you're a sexist or you're whatever that is. And I want to tell you that I appreciate that, Rafi. I really Thank appreciate you. Really your, you. Yeah. Well, you're very kind to come on here and, and, and give us your, your wealth of knowledge. Um, where, where can we find you? And now listen, also, we didn't even mention like you're an author. Tell us, tell us very quickly the title of your book. Where can we find that? Sure. Yeah. It's called uh, building an inclusive organization. It's very on the nose title. Um, yeah. You can find it online. Um, I don't know if any bookstores in Canada or the US are currently carrying it, but uh, so it came out in 2019, I think, right before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you can see my book is there. I co-wrote it with my with my colleague, Stephen Frost. 
We also yeah. uh, just published a, a new book that's come out that I wrote a chapter in, um, a, a bu basically a bunch of us from our organization and from clients that we've worked with and others of our colleagues, we each kind of wrote a chapter um, cool. about our different experiences in this, in this field. And so um, that's called the key to inclusion. So that's a new one that's coming out or that's come out. So you can check it out there. Um, Very impressed. And uh, yeah, for as for where you can find me, I mean, I am on Twitter. I'm not the best Twitter user. I'm kind of a bad millennial with social media, but I am on all of them. So you can find me, uh, I think it's at R Aladina on, uh, okay. on Twitter and you can find me on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all of those different things. You can just Google me and you can find me there. I'm also, you can just uh, find me on my company's website as well, included.com. Listen, we, we, we try to end our podcast with, uh, well, we, we, you know, an inspirational quote, maybe a cool quote. Sure. Um, now, uh, and we never give credit to, to who said it, but this one is, I like it. If you want to lift yourself up, lift up someone else. Love it. I like that. Now, that being said, I'm now thinking of it in a microaggression way where if you're going to lift someone else up, make sure you're doing it properly so that it doesn't offend them backhandedly <laughs> that you don't even know. So we'll leave Maybe. it at that. But Rafi, I appreciate you so much. Thank Folks, uh, thank you for tuning into the Relentless Podcast. You can you can check out all the stuff about You Can Use Services at our website, youcan.ca. Uh, all of our socials are at UCAN Edmonton. We appreciate you listening. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Rafi. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.